you know, there's a lot of, of, of different aspects to wellness. It's not just health. It's like you mentioned earlier, it's mental health uh, wellness, it's financial wellness, it's um, people that are juggling, you know, being sandwiched in between having kids and caring for older parents even. So it all comes into play. There's a lot of um, platforms out there and uh, different programs around, designed around that to engage your employees. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Over the last two decades, rising healthcare costs with often declining outcomes have caused many employers to focus on employee wellness initiatives. Using combinations of carrots and sticks, some employers have seen success in improving the health of their employees, while other programs have failed to gain traction with the employee base. My guest today is Johnette Van Eden. Johnette is the CEO of Star Wellness, a leading national provider of on-site medical screening and biometric services, helping organizations control healthcare costs by alerting individuals to undetected health conditions. She has also been at the forefront of COVID vaccine distribution, both at her clinic and in workplaces across North Texas. She's the author of Solving the Big Fat Puzzle, How to Create a Sustainable Solution That Works for You, and Navigating Wellness, Creating an Effective Strategy for Cost Containment. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Johnette. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So let's just get into your story first. You spent the first half of your career in the software industry, I guess, or in a software business. How did you come to be the CEO of a wellness organization? Yeah, I do get asked that quite a bit because it's such a stretch. Um, I worked in the travel industry for 16 years designing uh, software. The last big project that I did um, was the airport check-in for American Airlines and Y2K. So remember that was going to be the end of the world, but thankfully that didn't happen. Um, And back in those days, they um, had every year they would offer some early buyouts. And so I took one of those. Uh, It was fantastic. Took a couple years off. Uh, homeschooled my kids because I had smaller children at the time, but always wanted to have my own business, was looking around um, for different things to do. And through a variety of health issues for myself and my husband, um, we were looking at maybe doing like um, a health food store. Um, But, you know, those are kind of everywhere now. And while there's potions and lotions that promise to cure anything that ails you, no one was doing any testing to see if any of it actually worked. And that's how we initially got started. It was just me doing kind of finger stick testing at health clubs and health food stores. Um, And when the health food stores would have their specials once a month or whenever they would have us come in, um, we would do the cholesterol testing, glucose, things like that, and then sell them out of products to treat those conditions. So they loved it. We loved it. And we just get, kept getting requested for more and more stuff. Um, so eventually I had to uh, go to school and learn how to be, do phlebotomy. 
which was fun learning how to draw blood and that but that opened up the opportunity for us to do more screenings and then i started to get approached by employer groups wanting to know if we could do it for employees on site and then it kind of snowballed from there a lot of us just stumble into our calling by looking at our own issues and our own challenges and trying to find solutions to them and then i think i you know uh you and i know a lot of other entrepreneurs and I think that's uh, that's a pretty common story that you know people stumble into things just because they, they find the need trying to fill it for themselves. I agree. So, as far as employee wellness, I mean, you know, I came out of healthcare, HR, and uh, and you know, back then, even in the healthcare environment, we were talking about wellness as smoking cessation. That was pretty much it, and maybe some mental health EAP stuff. Um, how has it changed since you started uh, Star Wellness almost 20 years ago to, to today? What does employee wellness look like now? Um, well, even before COVID and now it's completely different. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> We've had to pivot and make a lot of changes over the last 20 years. Um, and, you know, it's pretty radically different than the way we first started out. Whereas when we first started out, it was all cash pay. Uh, either by the individual or we would invoice the company directly. Uh, now, so so much of a percentage is uh, direct bill to insurance. Um, there was a focus for a while on outcome-based programs, which could be very effective when designed correctly, uh, where they were in giving you lower premiums if you met certain criteria. Um, and that works really well, but then they came down and said that that wasn't fair and you couldn't do that. So those are very hard to implement now because there's so many rules and restrictions for reasonable alternatives around that. Um, you can imagine with Obamacare going in, all the changes that happened, um, we had to pivot quite a bit um, when that went into effect because um, all the money dried up. So whereas companies were had a big budget to spend on wellness before, uh, when that went into effect, then they weren't as incentivized to keep their group as healthy because everybody had insurance now. So it, it wasn't such a big deal about having to, uh, the self-funded groups paying their own claims. Mm. And so talk, talk, talk about what is an outcome-based program and, and what made those more difficult to, to implement? Um, the outcome-based program is where you have certain criteria that you want your employees to meet and they get incentives in the form of generally lower premiums um, each month on what they have to pay for meeting those criteria. So like your BMI needs to be under 25, um, you have your cholesterol under control, either medicated or, or not medicated, you, you have the same thing with blood pressure and glucose. Uh, it's typically the five uh, risk factors for metabolic syndrome, which are waist circumference, BMI, um, your cholesterol, your blood pressure, and your fasting glucose levels. And so they were trying to lower those numbers. Correct. Or get were, them pro were there programs that actually did that? Were, there, were employees responsive to those? Yes. And research showed that uh, with those programs, you had the incentive had to be about 1200 or more a year in order for employees uh, to lose the weight and keep it off. Because mm -hmm. as a nation and, and really just worldwide, um, 
every worldwide people are just getting heavier and heavier every year and it's just a few pounds a year and unfortunately uh, we're at the point now where diabetes and obesity combined are now being called diabetes is on track to be the number one killer worldwide and it's all lifestyle so if we can get employees to make small changes in their lifestyle to lose the weight then we can get them off of the blood pressure medications we can get them off the cholesterol medications um, and then you know they get better and healthier overall and once they get there and and feel that feel good and get off the medications they typically want to stay there but you said those those kind of outcome-based programs were harder to implement now, or was that an ACA thing? Or Yes, there were some uh, lawsuits around that, and so most of the outcome-based programs have gone away um, because you have to have reasonable accommodations. So you can, still, you, you can still implement them. They're just more difficult to do, and so more people or more companies have shied away from them. Uh-huh. Um, we also see that people just pay um, their employees to participate and to get screened every year because so many times, especially in manufacturing plant environments, we're the only health care their employees get all year long, especially young men. They mm-hmm. seem to think that they're invincible and that um, they don't need to go to the doctor for anything. I mean, we, we have people say, I haven't been to the doctor in 20 years, <laughs> which, you know, to me is unthinkable, but it, it happens. Well, yeah, and I've got, you know, my but you know my employee cohort skews younger mm-hmm. and when we were in the office before 18 months ago um you know i had to constantly remind them yeah if you feel bad go to the doctor don't come into work yes uh, you know i can fight through no i really don't want you fighting through we got an open open office concept i don't want you breathing on everybody i don't want to you know i don't want everybody sick and that was pre-covid uh and then but I do want you to take that if you if you if you feel well enough to come to the office and you feel well enough that you probably should go to the doctor if you're sick and uh, and take care of that. That's why you know, and we pay 98 percent of our employees health care premium. So, like, I'm paying for your dang insurance. Just go pay the copay and do it. And uh, and sometimes I'm, it's pulling teeth and it's kind of you know, it does tend to be the younger employees who are, are more hesitant. But I've had plenty of older ones who are like, oh, they're just going to give me medicine. I don't want. I don't want to take medicine. Well, the study shows if an employee comes to the office with the flu, they're going to infect four other employees in your office, and then it just snowballs from there. And we've seen that play out uh, with COVID worldwide. And so I think I think COVID did bring more of an awareness of that. So if if I'm a let's say let's say it's well, it is it's, it's end of 2021, and I want to look at my uh, employee base and say, how can I make them healthy or what, what kind of things would be in a good employee wellness program in 2021? Well, if you're just starting one, um, your, your question is, is what do I need to offer in order to get a baseline to see where my group is (laughs) and and what programs we need to design? So that's Um, the first step is figure out where you're at. mm -hmm. How do you do that? Um, Well, as, it's approaching it from what we do with on-site biometric screenings. Um, we would come on site, uh, do all the blood draws uh, to measure everybody's blood pressure, get their height and weight, BMI, um, all of that. And then we send the results directly to the employee's home in a confidential envelope. Um, and then to create a, a group aggregate report, which shows you specifically uh, where you are and what percentage of your employees fall into each risk category. So you know what kind of programs to design around that. Okay, so what are 
you mentioned cholesterol being one of them and BMI being one of them. So let's say my my employee population has a high percentage of folks who are have a risk risk factors around a high BMI. What kind of programs might I put it, consider putting in place then? Um, a lot. One of the most effective ones that we have seen is a walking challenge. Um, so you would get the pedometers and give them to people, and then they have you know the capability now to, to, to where they automatically upload. And so what, one of the most creative ones I saw was you know we're going to cl- climb Pikes Peak. And so you have to watch this this many steps per day and you this many days per week. And then that gets you from this point to this point to this point or a walk across Texas, you know, and and if you put it, put your employees in groups and do little challenges within the groups, um, that competition is always healthy to get it, get it going. Uh, and a lot of times I've even seen where your insurance company will donate prizes for you to give out. Um, or sponsor T-shirts for everybody who wants to do it, because they know that if you get them moving um, and get them active and get some few a few pounds off of them, that it's going to help with those premiums as well. Okay, what about cholesterol? Okay, so walk. Well, let me ask a question. Does does all that walking? You know, I, I hear ten thousand steps a day and all those kinds of things. Is there science behind that? Is it 10,000 steps a day or how many steps should a healthy person be walking to maintain their health? What's that, what's that go? Does it matter? Or? Well, they say 10,000. Um, you just want to get moving. You just want to be doing more than what you're doing now. So okay. if you have to work up to that, then you have to work up to that. But is 10,000 optimal? I mean, is that is that really a... That's uh, the magic number that all the okay. studies go with. But Interesting. Okay. So, so let's say it was cholesterol was a, was a risk factor. What would what would a program like that to address that would be? Besides well, taking the, the the French fry machine out of the break room, oh, yes, or the free soda machines. We have a oh, client, yeah. we have a client that has um, they're in restaurants, and so they have um, soda machines where employees can get drink all the free coke they want all day long. <laughs> so. Wow. Um, that's one of the things. And another one that really gets me is when we have a health fair and they serve donuts. <laughs> <laughs> or they feed everybody lunch and bring in pizza. So, you know, there's a lot of, of, of different aspects to wellness. It's not just health. It's like you mentioned earlier, it's mental health uh, wellness. It's financial wellness. It's um People that are juggling, you know, being sandwiched in between having kids and caring for older parents even. So it all comes into play. There's a lot of um, platforms out there and uh, different programs around designed around that to engage your employees. So and primarily Star Wellness, when you get involved, you're at the front end to kind of do the the baseline of, you know, and, and do the biometric stuff and do the testing. And then do you come back and do it on an annual basis or what's that What's that look like? How often should an employer resample their employee population? At a minimum annually. Uh, some, some companies we do uh, twice a year and we even have one company that has a focus on a different thing quarterly. But, so we do the baseline um, and then whatever, whoever you choose to manage your overall wellness, you have us come back and do the testing every year. And we, again, do that aggregate report as a third party to show you how well that that program is working. And is that usually something that 
the insurance the health insurance companies the group group insurance companies will pay for is that something employers typically paying for how does that usually work both there are some um, health insurance companies that offer them um, the ones that they offer are not real robust um, so the more robust ones are th through a third party that the employer is paying for and it's usually on a per employee per month basis but it gives them um, access to educational components and that the employees can do, they award them points, and then you know it has all the awards and everything built into it as well. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 26 and enter the keyword business. That's B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S. -S. 23 years ago, I founded Imperative to partner with risk-averse companies in making well-informed decisions about the people they involve in their business. We've identified the most common ways background check companies cut corners that impact the quality, accuracy, and depth of the information they provide employers and their clients aren't even aware of these issues until something goes wrong. You can download the six questions you should ask of your background check vendor at imperativeinfo.com six. And of course, you can always reach out to Imperative to discuss your background check process through our website at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Johnette Van Eden. So I know you were real busy and, and probably continue to be with boosters uh, in the in, in the COVID vaccine space over the last what, nine or 10 months anyway. Um, what are you seeing? Uh, we had Paul Simon, uh, an employment law, local employment law attorney on uh, a few weeks ago to talk about vaccine mandates and carrots and sticks and all of that. What are you seeing in on the ground? What are employers doing and what do you see if, is anything specifically effective or well since the latest announcement <laughs> two weeks ago um that the j and j and moderna boosters are available and as well as the federal government mandate of december 8th we're seeing employees panic especially the or employers panic especially those that have government contracts and now we're at the point where they're asking us if we can come every week because they have to get those few stragglers um, they have to offer them multiple opportunities to get vaccinated prior to that that hard date of december 8th which there was a article came out today from sherman i don't know if you saw it saying that that's not so much a hard date anymore yeah uh but but certainly you know, and there's one thing for the OSHA rule and another thing for all the, the yeah. government contractors. They, they've got a gun to their head, right? I mean, that's, mm -hmm. the, you know, if you're a federal contractor, that's it. And we um, have a lot of disgruntled employees right now that are coming in because they feel like they're being forced. Sure. Yeah. And, and nobody wants to be the heavy on that. Uh, but it's if we want the government to pay us, we got to we got to do it. Right. Are you seeing many employers uh, voluntarily who don't have that? that, you know, the federal government gun to their head, so to speak. Uh, are you seeing many of them uh, mandate uh, vaccines yet? Very few. Most of them are still giving the employee 
you know, the choice. And we surprisingly, we have a lot of clients that still are not allowing their employees in the office yet. Mm-hmm. So they're just staying remote. And, mm-hmm. and but the uh, the efficacy, I, th- I think, of the of all the vaccines is held up pretty good. Right. Yes. Uh, and how how often are they recommending for a booster? Does it depend on which vaccine you got or? Well, right now, a booster is if you got your second dose or your last dose. If it's J&J, you only had one at least six months ago. Okay. And, but Moderna's booster has been approved too, right? Correct. Uh, is that now? Uh, and is it any different than the, the the first shots? Are those, are the boosters, are they basically the same as the subsequent shots? And we're just getting another single shot or, or is that, is it something different? They are the same vaccine. Uh, the Moderna booster is half the dose of the original two. Now, if you get a third dose, which is what it's classified as but before that six-month date, then it's a, a full dose. What are you telling employers about preparing for employees to be out after those boosters? I know I didn't, after my first two, Moderna's piece of cake, you know, a little soreness, that was it. And I felt like a truck hit me. Uh, after the after I got my my booster, so are you warning? Should employers just kind of plan on, you know, when, whenever we do our boosters, expect expect employees to be out the next day? Or well, most of them know or have a general idea because um, a lot of people react to the second dose, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It means that your body is doing what it's supposed to do, and you're having an immune response. Oh, I thought it meant the Illuminati were tracking me now, and my body had to get used to to the to the federal government putting their and your magnetic. In. Yeah, yeah. More so. than just your personality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think our flu season is going to look like this year? Uh, you know, are, are employers even focusing on, on on flu vaccinations, or is is COVID getting all the attention? No, we're we've done several thousand flu shots as well already. Um, and surprisingly, we're already seeing type A cases, uh, whereas last year we didn't see hardly any at all by now. So the CDC, I know, is concerned and has put out information that they're afraid that there is going, it is going to be a really heavy flu season as well. So get your flu shots as well. And I'm sure that we're going to get another variant of COVID. I mean, oh, really? Well, yeah. there's already one. But. Oh, okay. And is it getting traction? It's, it's starting to, uh, last time I looked at the data, but um, it's not widespread here yet. Okay. And uh, the other question that always comes up is, do we think that vaccine that we've been, we've had so far is going to work against future variants? Is that just a wait and see thing or is that? Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see on that. It's all new. Well, put me on the list because whatever the next one, I'll take, I'll take the shot. I don't, after, after, um, if it's half as bad, you know, it's twice as bad probably or three times. But after I got that third Moderna shot, uh, I, I'm a poor patient. I'm just, I'm horrible. And uh, I was not going to, I don't want that. So give me the shot. Um, any, what else, any other final things that an employer ought to consider as they're they're dealing in, in all of this mess between flu and COVID and whatever else they ought to consider uh, when we're talking about employee wellness through the end of 2021 and into 2022? 
what's the next big thing after flu and COVID? The tricky area that I see uh, with the vaccine mandates is people that have had COVID. So they already ha- already have natural antibodies. Mm-hmm. So why are we forcing them to take a vaccine to produce antibodies that they already have when their antibodies from natural infection are superior? So that's the, the area that I think we're going to see litigated out. Okay. That's, I, um, I, it seems like just last week, maybe in the Wall Street Journal, I saw an article that that said there was a study out now that suggested that the vaccine immunity was stronger over time than the the natural immunity is. Did you see that or? It depends on the study and the patients that they have. I mean, we have, uh, I know one patient that we have that had COVID last November and he still has strong antibodies. Okay. Interesting. And we've, we've certainly seen plenty of breakthrough. We've had them in my office, breakthrough cases of people who both either had it. I have got one employee who had it last year, got the vaccine, and still got COVID. Now, it was mild, uh, but it was enough that you know she didn't feel well for a couple of days. And so she had two cases? Huh? She, had, she had one case. No, she had the case. Yeah, she had it, the case. She had COVID. Then she got a vaccine, and then she got another. Then she got back COVID again. And so I guess there's nothing is a hundred percent. And, uh, and she was just unlucky enough to get it twice, but those, those, uh, those breakthrough cases are, um, you know, one of the problems for returning to work, especially if you're in a, you work closely with other people and all that, because you're going to have some people who mm-hmm. can't get a vaccine or something like that. And I guess that's a real concern. And that Delta variant was so deadly and it affected people so differently. I mean, my aunt and uncle uh, both died from breakthrough cases after being fully vaccinated. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, and then we see, we know beyond any doubt that if you get the vaccines, it reduces hospitalization and risk of death. Um, I have to go to a funeral on Wednesday for a, the police officer from Haltom City who passed away from COVID last week. Yeah, we sounds like precaution. Employers would still be smart to put precautions in place. Mm-hmm. And, and minimize contact even if you everybody's vaxxed. Uh, well, and they have to from a liability reason because they're required to create a safe work environment. Right. Good yeah. you know, old stuff. And we talked about that with Paul Simon. And so, well, that's really all the time we have today. But I, I appreciate you joining us today, Johnette. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer and Imperatives Marketing Coordinator. Katie Bautista keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well. Do good and keep your chin up.